Hello, and welcome to another podcast for U.S. History Repeated with Jimmy and Gene. This is Jimmy LaSalle. In today's podcast, we are going to cover the Roaring Twenties. Lots of change going on in the U.S., and many of the bigger items have been discussed in their own podcast, by the way, like, like Women Getting the Right to Vote with the podcast we had on the 19th Amendment. We did a podcast on Prohibition. We did a podcast on the automobile. So in this podcast, we get into the fashion. We get into hemlines, which were on the rise entertainment, 20 slang, music, jazz is very big, the burial of the unknown soldier, Ponzi schemes, the Scopes trial. And now before I turn it over to Gene, I do want to remind you to follow us wherever you are listening to this podcast. We are growing our audience and we are just about everywhere now. Spotify is probably the most popular than than iTunes. Audible, we get a good number of listens. Amazon, Alexa, Ask Alexa to play U.S. History Repeated. iTunes, Google, everywhere, iHeartRadio. And now here is our resident history expert, Jeannie Anzanakis. Jeannie, take it away. All right. So today we're going to be talking about the 1920s. When people think of the 1920s, they talk of them as being roaring. The question has to be asked, was it roaring for everyone? During this decade, there is an incredible amount of change within the United States, politically, socially, economically. Politically, women gain the right to vote. Women are starting to work outside of the home in certain industries that allowed female employees. It's important to note that some businesses did have a marriage ban. So once a woman was married, she was no longer eligible to be employed. That was perfectly legal at the time. Some women embraced the image of the flapper, shorter hair, shorter hemlines, maybe even socially provocative. Prior to the change in typical dress codes for women, women's skirts or dresses, the typical length was six inches off of the ground. When the hemlines first went up, it was nine inches off the ground. Believe it or not, that change was seen as the world going to hell in a handbasket. Imagine, you know, skin-colored stockings were once a no-no. People think nothing of it or, you know, going out with a dress or a skirt with no stockings. During the 1920s, rayon stockings instead of cotton were now the most popular choice. The hemlines kept going up. It would eventually stop at the knee. Corsets were gone and dress material was thin and sometimes even sleeveless. Some state legislatures saw bills being introduced that would legally regulate skirt lengths for women. You have to understand that this was a drastic change. There had been a certain moral code or even modesty rules that had been in place in society for women for generations. Now, certain traditions were being challenged. Certain stereotypes were being challenged. The younger generation was different. For the men, they had returned from fighting a world war in Europe. They survived a global pandemic. There is this feeling of, you know, life is meant to be lived to the fullest. For women in the early 1900s to the start of this new decade, women typically had long hair. Having short hair was often seen as a sign of being radical in thought and in politics the bob haircut became all the rage. Some women cut off their hair and embraced the new style. In terms of makeup, makeup really wasn't worn except for women of a certain profession, if you know what I mean, 
or you know maybe just I don't, a, I don't know what you mean what can you what can you say about that women of the night um, right women of the night women they, of the, night. the only ones that wear makeup typically yeah i mean when they did it was maybe just a little bit of rouge on one's cheeks or lips but in the 1920s you see the introduction of makeup like mascara eyeshadow and of course the bold red lip but one of the biggest stereotypes that begin to kind of get pushed back on is the role of women as a mother, you know, with the introduction of birth control. The role of women as a wife, as a mother, that was the role that women were expected to hold. At marriage, a woman was handed over from her father to her husband. You give your hand in marriage. Under the eyes of the law, a woman was childlike, really a second-class citizen. With the passage of the 19th Amendment, women now have the right to vote, but under the eyes of the law, still very much a second-class citizen. Once a woman became a mother working outside of the home, education becomes difficult, if not impossible. Some businesses, like I mentioned earlier, had marriage bans, and they would not hire a woman if she was married. The more children a woman had, the harder things like higher education and a career came to obtain. Even today, women who are also mothers are expected to work as if they don't have children, and then they're expected to parent as if they don't work. And the same really can't be said for men most of the time. When talking about birth control, you have to talk about Margaret Sanger. She was an activist who promoted the use of contraception for women. In her writing, she argued that a woman should be able to decide when and if she becomes a mother, that women are better mothers when they want the children they are pregnant with. Her work and writings were controversial for the time, as you can imagine. She was forced to flee to Great Britain in 1914 after her work titled Family Limitation was published. When things eventually calmed down, she returned to the States. She would go on to found the American Birth Control League in 1921, and that would, of course, go on to turn into Planned Parenthood. It's also important for me to discuss that she also supported the eugenics movement. She believed that individuals in poverty and those with mental illness and disability should be given birth control to prevent them from procreating. There is this idea that only people with disabilities will give birth to people with disabilities or that only people with mental illness will procreate and give birth to other people with mental illness. Of course, today we know that is not true. The idea that we could weed out individuals that were seen at the time as being undesirable through selective breeding, right? We can call it. Many groups of people were sterilized without their permission or even put on clinical trials for birth control without their consent. And Margaret Sanger played a role in that. Knowledge of reproductive systems are still relatively new. It's not until 1875 that scientists discovered that a man's sperm must enter a female's egg for contraception to occur. The thinking was that men alone created life and that women were solely the vessel for the child to grow and develop until it was ready to be born. By the 1870s, there are a wide assortment of birth control devices that are available in the United States, things like condoms, sponges, douching syringes, diaphragms, and cervical caps. They were sold from catalogs and pharmacists, dry goods stores, even rubber vendors. 
when these become available to the masses, we start to see things like anti-obscenity laws being passed in order to prevent information on contraception from being given out. Eugenics, which I mentioned earlier, it is the study of how to arrange reproduction within a human population in order to increase the occurrence of basically heritable characteristics that are regarded as being more desirable. It also led to the forced sterilization of individuals that weren't considered desirable. If you look at uh, what the Nazis did, eugenics was also used by the Nazis, for example, to promote their theory that Jews were inferior. So you see the Nazis, you know, starting with targeting even children, creating coloring books showing You know, you can tell if somebody is Jewish, if they have this long, big, crooked nose and Aryans have blonde hair and blue eyes. And that's what we want to put forth in society. So, you know, you have to understand that eugenics was a tool used by a number of different groups. During the 1920s, when people think of this era, you, of course, think of prohibition. Prohibition was the law of the land. It's important to note that it wasn't illegal to drink alcohol, just to purchase and to sell it. So you have this time span between the Volstead Act being passed and before it went into effect. So you could, you know, stock up, buy all the booze you want. Back up the truck, load it up, baby. You just couldn't sell it, right, to anybody else, which, of course, people didn't speak easies, which we talked about if you listen to our episode on the 18th Amendment. But prohibition turned law-abiding citizens into criminals. Most people stocked up on alcohol before prohibition went into effect. You have things like rum running and bootlegging, which became incredibly lucrative businesses. And enforcing this law was not easy. There weren't nearly enough agents to even attempt to enforce this law. And you have millions of dollars being paid in bribes to officials to look the other way. You have the rise of organized crime, and you also have about a billion dollars in lost tax revenue. You can't talk about the 1920s without talking about the automobile, which we also did a separate podcast on. The automobile has begun to revolutionize society. At the start of the decade, you have about 7 million cars on the roads across the United States. And by the end of the decade, there are 23 million. Dirt roads and cars can go about 30 miles an hour. By the next decade, that will increase significantly. For the first time in the 1920s, people are living in cities. There are more people living in cities than living on farms for the first time in American history. The automobile helps to make the world a bit smaller. Places that were once 10 miles away from where you lived, it might as well have been across the country. Now with an automobile, you can travel further. You don't have to live near a railroad line anymore. During the 1920s, we start to see different types of entertainment. Couples will be invited to tea parties. Prior to the start of Prohibition, if there was a bar with alcohol being served, men were patrons, but not women. Women could not go into a bar. A woman smoking a cigarette would be considered a bold move on her part during the 1920s. And it, of course, becomes more and more popular. You start to see the cigarette holder for women attending boxing matches and listening to them at home on the radio, listening to music on the radio gained popularity throughout the 1920s. The first beauty pageants are taking place in the 20s as well. And the one-piece bathing suit was born. 
It was still commonplace to wear stockings on the beach, if you could imagine that, uh, but no longer wearing like this huge dress of an outfit. You could wear a one-piece bathing suit. If one wanted to push the envelope a bit, all they needed to do was to roll the stockings under the knee. Imagine showing your kneecaps. At Rolling the, the stockings under the knee, that was a roll, big no-do. Well, well you're, you're pushing the envelope, let's say, right? Mm-hmm. At the start of the decade, we start to see live theater. People are attending plays. That was all of the rage. Variety shows like the Zigfield Follies. By the end of the decade, that changes to people attending movies to see a film and eventually uh, films with sound. Talkies, right? Talkies. People. So now this is this is a period of time where a lot of those inventions and new technology that we talked about previously are only starting to be widely adopted by the general population. Yes. And, you know, we'll get into that a little bit later on with even home appliances that start to make life a little bit easier. But when when you talk about the movies, you know, people might recognize the name Charlie Chaplin. Uh, people like Mary Pickford, they were the talk of the town. Those were the famous, you know, movie stars of the time. But there was this one particular movie it was called the movie. The movie was called It, not the one we know today. Right. That scary movie. But this movie, It, it was about a young sales girl who falls in love with her boss. And the actress, uh, her name was Clara Bow, and she becomes known as the It Girl. And perhaps you may have heard the saying, she's got it. Right. Whatever it refers to. That term defined, you know, the notion of someone who has an indescribable appeal. We don't know what she's got, but she's got it. And you may have even heard the term the new it girl. Eventually, movies go from being silent films to talkies. The first talkie is, of course, the jazz singer. And for 25 cents, you would see a double feature and a live show. When people think of the movie industry, they, of course, think of Hollywood and Hollywood, California at the time. Well, it's hard to imagine today. It was started off as this small, sleepy town in the West, and it soon becomes this booming city filled with movie stars and starlets. The 1920s has its own slang, and some of the terms used then are still in use today. The term baloney was used to mean nonsense. You know, you're full of baloney. You still hear people say that today. A jalopy is a broken down car. If something is the bee's knees, it's great. Or, you know, you got a beef, you've got a problem. If somebody is a big shot, uh, the term big house referring to jail. Certain terms mm. start to come about being used to describe women, chick, babe, even uh, the term dame. When you say my dogs are tired, you're referring to your feet. You know, just to give you a few examples and another uh, common form of entertainment was the game Mahjong. Mahjong becomes so popular that Chinese manufacturers actually had difficulty keeping up with the demand. You know, Mahjong is still played throughout, you know, today throughout the United States. You'll see these Mahjong clubs. Um, music, when you talk about music of the 1920s, Jazz. Jazz is the music of the time period. And we have an entire episode coming out about jazz. So be on the lookout oh, for that. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. Yes, great discussion. Uh, dance crazes. Charleston, It was, which was based off of the movements of African-American dancers in Charleston, South Carolina. 
That's why it was called the Charleston. It was just very fast-paced dance, completely different from the calm and ladylike movements of couple dancing to big band orchestras. Oh, you know, speaking of the Charleston, and we did our Prohibition episode, and, you know, it's kind of in the times, but I think I mentioned if you can go to the Prohibition Museum Mm. in Savannah, Georgia, there is a great little speakeasy and there's one there's one little spot where they give you the directions to do the Charleston. I think I mentioned this in that podcast, but it's just worth it. It makes me laugh every time. And they, you go into the speakeasy and it's a two-way mirror and you see the people practicing the Charleston, but they don't know they're being watched. It's hilarious. Absolutely oh, hilarious. Yes. Yeah, so they think they're practicing the steps, but everybody's having a good joke everybody's on having them. Everybody's having a laugh at, laugh at them. funny. Certain key events of the 1920s. Most people don't know that, but during this time period, we have the burial of the unknown soldier in Arlington Cemetery. Before soldiers had those metal identification identification tags they wear as necklaces, which are more commonly referred to as dog tags, U.S. soldiers had these aluminum discs that had their names on it. The high number of casualties during World War I, especially among British and French soldiers, there were a number of soldiers whose identities were unknown, and many soldiers killed in action were buried overseas. In order to ease the pain of loved ones whose sons were killed in the war, countries each brought a soldier whose identity was unknown back home to be buried. The British buried their unknown soldier in Westminster Abbey. The French buried theirs at the base of the Arc de Triomphe. And in the United States, our unknown soldier from World War I is buried in Arlington National Cemetery. Additional bodies of unknown soldiers were added over the years from different wars, but this is the first. So how did we go about picking it? The bodies of four soldiers whose identities were unknown were exhumed and they were reburied in identical caskets. A soldier was selected randomly. That casket was brought back to Washington, D.C., where a state funeral was held on November 11th, 1921. Crowds gathered in places like Madison Square Garden in order to hear the speeches given at that dedication. And on the tomb which is guarded 24 hours a day, is written, Here rests in honored glory an American soldier known but to God. I also want to briefly discuss some infamous people and events of the 1920s. Some of them you may have heard before. Charles Ponzi, for example, the Ponzi scheme. He was born in Italy. He comes to America after hearing stories of other Italian immigrants who had come to the United States and made something big of themselves. He tried his hand at all sorts of jobs. He was either fired or he quit before he could be fired. He was in jail in both Canada and the United States for various crimes. Ponzi bought these international reply coupons, which were basically a coupon or a voucher of sorts that could be exchanged for postal stamps in another country. You bought the voucher for less money than what a stamp would cost. And if you sold them, you can make a profit. In 1920, he founded a company called Securities Exchange Co. 
He sold stocks advertising 50% interest after 90 days, and the money he received from investors was supposed to be used to buy IRCs to redeem in the United States. And instead, Ponzi used the money from the new investors to pay off old investors. It is believed that Ponzi amassed $15 million from his scheme. That would be over $200 million today. He was arrested and convicted of mail fraud and was later deported back to Italy. He what? was clearly the first one to ever do this. He was it was named after him. Was so named this after is where him. the term Ponzi scheme originated from. And today, if you're talking about the worst Ponzi scheme, that would that title would go to Bernie Madoff. And he is known for spearheading the largest Ponzi scheme in history worth about $65 million. Do you know yeah. that these Ponzi schemes, were, I mean, a lot of people get ripped off for money. I mean, you've had schemes for a long time, but it's when the wealthy people or people with means lose their money that the law gets involved and people get, get arrested, which is what happened in both the case with Mr. Ponzi as well as Bernie Madoff. Sure. Well, who has extra money lying around that they can invest, right? It's not, not going to be the working class. It's going to be the wealthy. Well, that's just it's just, it's not going to be enough money for. I mean, I shouldn't say that it's it's when the wealthy go. It's there. There's not enough money for it to be a big enough crime for the police to go after the other criminals that stole, you know, hundreds of dollars as opposed to millions of dollars. Mm, yeah, really, that's really the reason why. Okay, so moving along to infamous people, got to talk about Sacco and Vanzetti. So Nicola Sacco and Bartolomeo Vanzetti were two Italian immigrants who were arrested for the murder of two men, a guard and a paymaster at a Massachusetts factory. So their background as immigrants doesn't really help their case. These men are also known anarchists who were uh, arrested. They claimed not to own guns, but each had a gun on them that had bullets similar to those found at the crime scene. They had ties to other anarchists who were known to the U.S. government. So it's a bad recipe, right? One of their associates was the ringleader of the infamous Wall Street bombing the day after their arrest that killed 38 people. So you have to understand that there is not a lot of people who think these people are innocent. There were. There were some, but not many. And if you go to Wall Street, you can actually see those marks from the bombing on some of the buildings. In terms of the Sacco and Vanzetti case, the case dragged on for years with multiple appeals, calls for a pardon. The two men were eventually sentenced to death by electrical current, the electric chair. You have these protests that are erupting throughout major cities. Bombs were sent to the judge's home, even to some of the jurors, which thankfully had been intercepted. But the sentence was carried out on August of 1927, and the men maintained their innocence until the end. Another infamous trial of the 1920s is the Scopes trial. It is also sometimes referred to as the Monkey Trial. A teacher, a science teacher in Tennessee named John T. Scopes was arrested and fined for teaching evolution. The Butler Act made it illegal for any teacher to teach evolution in a state-funded school. Now you might be asking, what did they want you to teach then? Well, the Bible story, right? Adam and Eve. The ACLU announced it would finance a test case to challenge the constitutionality of the Butler Act. John T. Scopes incriminated himself. Um, 
former politician and once presidential candidate three times over, William Jennings Bryan, who himself was an anti-evolution activist, he agreed to take on the case for the prosecution. Clarence Darrow took up the defense for the ACLU, and the trial took place in 1925. It didn't take jurors long to deliver their guilty verdict, a whopping nine minutes. And if you could imagine, the law was upheld. You could not teach evolution in a state-funded school in Tennessee. When it comes to race relations in the United States during the 1920s, the post-World War I era sees race riots throughout the country. Jim Crow segregation is the law of the land in the South. The Great Migration, the movement of Black Americans from the South to Northern cities, which we're going to talk more about in our episode on the Harlem Renaissance, you have Black World War I veterans being lynched in their uniforms. D.W. Griffith's Birth of a Nation, a film about two families living south of the Mason-Dixon line. It chronicles the time period of the Civil War, the assassination of Lincoln, Reconstruction, and it portrays the antebellum South. During the 1920s, we also see the resurgence of the KKK with rapid changes occurring, things like industrialization, immigration, urbanization, we see an increase in Klan activity. You have local chapters throughout the country, not just in the South. Membership grew into the millions. In addition to terrorizing Black Americans, this new Klan also went after immigrants, Catholics, seeing these new additions to American society as posing a threat to that white Protestant America they were trying to protect. But the Klan was especially hostile and violent towards Blacks, Catholics, and Jews. Now, you mentioned earlier new inventions. New mm -hmm. inventions changed life in the 1920s. The biggest thing was the increase in the number of homes that had electricity. Gone were the need for blocks of ice in one's icebox. Now you could have a refrigerator. Gone were the days of washing clothes one at a time with a washboard and a bar of soap. Now you could buy a washing machine, an electric toaster, an electric iron. You know, if you wanted to iron something, once upon a time, you took this giant metal iron, you put it on the fire. You had to, you know, pick it up and hope, cool it off a little bit before you put it on a piece of cloth so you wouldn't burn a hole immediately through it. Inventions like the automobile, radio, telephone, airplane, which we've done full episodes on. All of yes. these inventions are making life easier. They're also making women's life easier. All of, you know, um, you have sliced, pre-made sliced bread. You have washing machines. Women have more time. There is more spare time. There's With the expansion of credit, these items become more attainable. People who may not have otherwise been able to afford these new inventions could now do so with paying in installments or buying on credit. When people think of the 1920s, they often think of the image of the flapper and people living the high life. A small faction of people were making big money, but life was hard, especially for farmers in rural America. More and more immigrants were coming to the United States and were not treated well, different groups being the bigger target at different times. We are seeing significant changes in American society, socially, economically, politically. And by the end of the decade, the economic prosperity enjoyed by some 
would come to an end with a stock market crash. You know, I, I know that you were saying people think of the 1920s, they think of the image of the flapper and people living the high life. Why is it that with any period, and we've talked about a lot of them, but why is it with any period do we think of the fashion and the music? It's amazing. Yeah. Well, I think it has to do with pop culture. There are certain things that people remember more, certain things that kind of fuel fads, fashion, and and music is, is one of those things. When you think of the 1920s, you, of course, think of jazz. When you think of the 1940s, for example, you'll think of swing and big band music. When you think of the 1950s, you start to think of rock and roll and rhythm and blues. When you think of the 1960s and the 1970s, you start to think of things like rock and roll. You know, so it 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 that music in particular is is such an incredible driving force in terms of culture. I think it's such a great form of expression. And one of the things I always did as a teacher was I was big in playing music. And you know, sometimes my students would kind of laugh or or roll their eyes, but I would kind of laugh back at them and I would say, just you wait, this song mm -hmm. is going to be in your head. And sure enough, they would come back and tell me like, oh, you know, I couldn't get that song out of my head. But they always looked forward to the days where I did pop culture. And when I did the 1920s, I gave extra credit for students who who dressed up for the time period. And the end of the lesson, we danced the Charleston. So it was always a lot of fun. And any question they asked, they had to include 1920s slang in their question. So it was always a lot of fun to do. And it was something they looked forward to at the end of every unit. You know, when people think of the 1920s, it, it is that image of the flapper, especially that image on Life magazine. This notion that people are living the high life, that was actually a small faction of people. Not everybody was making big money. Some people were, but not everybody. Life was hard and, and it was hard, especially for farmers, so much so that eventually at the end of the decade, with the stock market crash and people lose their life savings when the banks close or people lost money in the stock market and people fell on hard times. Some people acted as this was new, but farmers are kind of like, well, welcome to the party. We've been hurting. When World War One ends, there isn't this mass demand for American food, American produced food, and farmers are hurting. More and more immigrants are coming to the United States and they're not being treated as well. So, you know, the 1920s, they're not roaring for everybody. And when it comes to different immigrant groups, different groups are being targeted at different times. We are seeing significant changes in American society. We're seeing them socially, we're seeing them economically, we're seeing them politically, right, with women gaining the right to vote. By the end of the decade, that economic prosperity that's enjoyed by some would come to an end with the stock market crash of 1929. And the Great Depression would be felt by all Americans, some more so than others. But the 1920s is just such an interesting time. Jean Ann, thank you very much. As always, fantastic job. The next podcast we do will be on the Harlem Renaissance, and we will see you then. Thanks for listening to U.S. History Repeated. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Parlor. Visit our website, ushistoryrepeated.com, and subscribe to our podcast. There's always more to learn. Talk to you soon.